I have a question for you. What do Babe Ruth, Edgar Allan Poe, Eleanor Roosevelt, and Steve Jobs have in common? Eleanor Roosevelt, Edgar Allan Poe, Babe Ruth, and Steve Jobs. What do you think? What do they have in common? Besides that they're all dead and that they all lived, right? Born on January 1st. That's a good guess. I think we had a similar guess in front. That's possible. I didn't check that part. We'll get into a little bit more detail about that. But if you think about it, these are all famous people. These are people that are famous for different reasons, be it how they swung a bat or how they were able to write or how they were able to address humanitarian needs as the first lady, longest lived uh, first lady of the United States of America, Eleanor Roosevelt. Or they may have revolutionized our lives through technology. Think about Steve Jobs. We would be in a, a completely different world if it wasn't for what Steve Jobs had come up with and the things that the ingenuity. So what was it about these people that made them so famous? I want you to know something today. I want to just right from the beginning, I want to tell you something that will make 2021 a happy new year. Besides what we just talked about focusing on Jesus, here's something that will make 2021 a happy new year. You, my friend, are a human being. You feel happy? This, this is a really happy thing. I'm telling you, the fact that you are a human being should make you extremely happy. And, and it should make you even happier to know that you are a human being, not a human doing. I want you to remember that. You're a human being, not a human doing. Turn with me in your Bible to Revelation chapter 5. Now we've been looking at the three angels' messages and when we got to the, the time around Christmas, we've been focusing in on the, the birth narrative about Jesus and there we have seen how worship took place. But, but we're still in the first angels' message in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation, but we're, we're I, don't, don't get distracted. I, I said to go to Revelation 5, right? But go to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. But on your way there, we're going to remember that first angel's message. That first angel's message that a, the angel comes flying in the midst of heaven, having a message to preach the good, everlasting gospel to preach to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And he says with a loud voice, what does he say? Fear God and give him glory. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who may. And this morning, we just want to dial in a little bit on that to say, worship him who may. Look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. You see in Revelation chapter 4, we have this throne room scene. And then it, it shows us the four living creatures around the throne who are constantly crying out, holy, holy, holy. And then you have these 24 elders, the representatives of humanity. They, when they hear the living creatures say this, they cast their, their crowns around the throne. And this is what they say in verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you. What does it say? You created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. You are worthy because you are the initiator. You're the, through your will, all things came into existence. All things are here because of you. And that is what makes you worthy. That's why we can worship him who made. And this is incredible foundation 
for a happy 2021. To know that, that you are a human being created in the image of the omnipotent God of the universe and you are not a human doing. Just look down at Second uh, Corinthians with me. Second Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul picks up this idea talking about what makes us worthy in our lives or, or where we find our, our value and worth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, it says this, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all die. All right, so... So he starts off by saying, hey, it's the love of Christ that compels us, that, that stirs us on to this. He's been saying in this chapter, you know, if we're beside ourselves, if we're out of our minds, if you think that we're crazy, it's the love of Christ that's driving us to these extremes. It's, it's his love that motivates, that inspires, that, that leads us on to these endeavors. And that's what I want you to know this morning, that God's love is the foundation for you. And his love is why you were created. He wanted for you to exist and he chose you before the foundation of the world. And that's why you're here today. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. Now this is, this is kind of strange for us to think about. That if one died for all, then all died. So he says, look, Jesus went to the cross for you and me and he, he went for our sins to the cross and he died for us experiencing the completeness of all of our guilt all of the weight of our sin and as he experienced that we all in Christ died and then look at what he goes on to say verse 15 and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again it says since he died for us and we died with him, then we shouldn't live for ourselves anymore. Now we've got a new lease on life. Let's live totally for God. Now, that's the only purpose of any human beings on this planet is to live for God. You see, the, the ground is he loves us. That's what compels us. The result is that we live totally for him. And then it goes on to say this, verse 16. Now this will change your 2021, not just in your own experience, but with the relationships around you. Verse 16 says this, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Did you let that sink in? Now we regard no one according to the flesh. This is really hard for Americans to grasp. You see, as Americans, we're used to something called a meritocracy. If you have ability and you put effort into it, then what you should end up with is more success and more power. You should be able to have the American dream. Pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. But Paul says, hey, don't look at anyone according to the flesh. Don't look at anyone based upon what they have done or what they will do. Look at them based upon the value that Jesus Christ has placed in them. The infinite God of the universe who we've been talking about stepped down from his throne, chose to enter a peasant's family, chose to live this life. Look to him who went to the cross for you and me. And when you see that person and they're, they're acting a certain way that, that really grates on you, when you see that person, you say, man, they've made a wreck of their life and they deserve to be where they are. 
Paul says, check yourself right there and look at no person according to the flesh. And he goes on to, to expand on, on what that looks like. But, but before we look at that, just, just think about how hard that is. I, I think about in my entire life how often I have evaluated myself based upon what people say or what I have achieved. I think about my sophomore year in high school. I went to this, this academy where they had a flag football team and a small group of guys to choose from. And so I was able to make it onto the football team. And I was trying my hardest to become one of the best football players I could be. And I was a wide receiver and I was playing my heart out that first year. And they, I think at the end of the year, they gave me something like the most improved award, which means you tried really hard. <laughs> but they, they had this, this time where all the guys got together on, on one evening and we watched these reels from the year. And we were, we were watching different highlights and different, different plays and things that had been filmed during the year. And time after time, the guys would be like, ah, look, there goes Zach. <laughs> look at how he runs. You see, I grew too fast. And apparently I was really gangly and, and looked really awkward. Maybe I still do when I, when I ran. And that was so deflating. And, and you've probably experienced this in your life when, when people say things, it, it deflates you and you, you feel dejected and, and, and you feel when people evaluate you in a certain way, like, like you're just not worth that much. But then I remember another time during that year when the freshman quarterback was put in. The senior, uh, we were so far ahead that the, the senior quarterback was taken out. And so they put the freshman quarterback in, Garrison. And we're there in the huddle. And Garrison looks over at me. I'm wide receiver. And he's like, Zach, I'm scared. I want you to run straight for the end zone as fast as you can. And I'm just going to throw the football as hard as I can. And we're about, we're, we're way back past the midfield said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go. Don't worry, buddy. We'll do our best. I took off and ran as fast as I could. And one thing he could do was throw a football far. And he threw that football as far as he could. It went all the way to the end zone. And I caught it just barely right in the end zone. And the coach was so excited. He began to tell everybody, look, from now on, we will refer to that as the throw and the catch. <laughs> and boy, that felt good. It built me up. And I felt like somebody special. I felt like some somebody worthwhile. I made the catch. I'd done something. You see, my entire life, I've evaluated myself based on being a human doing, but that's not what matters. What matters is that you're a human being. Paul says, look on no one based upon the flesh anymore. Don't evaluate the people around you based upon what they've done. Don't treat them based upon their actions, but treat them with the infinite value of the son of God laying down his life for them. Look on no man according to the flesh. And then he goes on to say, I mean, he says, look, it, we even thought of Jesus according to the flesh. That's why I, I rejected him at first is basically what Paul says. He says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him that way no longer. Now we recognize that it's not just a humble Galilean who walked through our town. He wasn't just some peasant, but he was the almighty God of the universe. We don't know him that way anymore. Then verse 17. This is the crucial verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Friends, this makes for a happy 2021. We can forget about 2020. Do you want to, How many of you want to forget about 2020? Okay, let's just, 
Let's make a new creation right now. The old is gone. The new has come. In Christ, that's the reality for each and every one of us. And I want you to see how that's played out in the life of Jesus because the gospel writers, they they reveal to us that Jesus intentionally rewrote history. You know, I hope that you're going to take time this year to read this book a lot. How many plan to read this book a lot this year? This book will change your life because it reveals Jesus from cover to cover. But as you dive into your reading plan this year, and if you don't have one, you can send a text message to our church and you, you join that. We'll, we'll send out again. I have a, a machine reading plan that I'm doing this year that you can do together as a group on the Version Bible app. And it allows for us to comment at the end of that and, and to encourage each other as we're doing it or to share verses that were meaningful to us. Um, so that's one option for you. There's lots of other options. But let me know if you don't have a plan for this year because diving into this book is so powerful and so transformative in our lives. But as you read through the Old Testament, and now I'm starting it afresh with a machine plan, you realize that it tells you again and again how Israel failed repeatedly. They, they, they got re- delivered, and then they were failures again, and then they failed, and then they failed, and then they failed, and then they failed, and then they failed. Do you ever feel like that's your past history? Do you ever feel like, man, when I look back over my life, all I see is failures? Well, there's incredibly good news because when Jesus shows up on the story, he rewrites history, literally. Okay, check this out. If you just read through the Gospels and you read what Jesus does, in Matthew chapter 1, when, in verse 21, when Jesus is named, it says, you shall name him Jesus. Do you know what that name is in Hebrew? Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. So, so his name is to be Joshua. What did Joshua do? He brought the children of Israel finally into the promised land, revealing that, hey, Jesus is finally going to be the one who brings his people into their final rest in Christ. But if you think about the story again and again, it re- rewrites history. You have a man named Joseph who has dreams that from God, and then he goes down into Egypt to save his family from imminent death. Now, what am I talking about? Are you talking about Matthew chapter 1, where you have Joseph, who in the night after the the wise men come, they, or, sorry, Matthew chapter 2, he has a a dream that, that he needs to take Mary and Jesus and get down to Egypt. We talked about that last week, how the gift of the wise men was so incredibly beneficial to them. If you missed last week, there were some incredible testimonies that were shared. I hope that you'll check it out on our YouTube channel. But what happened in Genesis with 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 a, a guy named Joseph? He had dreams. Those dreams made his brothers upset. They sold him into slavery, and he went down to Egypt. Then in Genesis 45, verse 5, he goes on to say, And God preserved the family of Israel, Jacob, by bringing them down into Egypt. Jesus went down to Egypt. But in case that sounds like, oh, that's a little bit of a stretch, Matthew intentionally highlights the fact that this is his son who he's bringing out. And he he quotes from Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, which, which says that, I called my son out of Egypt. 
And who is he talking about? Well, in, in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22, when, when Israel is brought out of Egypt, they're enslaved, they're in bondage there in Israel. In the midst of that, God steps in with plagues and he delivers them, even though they keep saying to Moses, uh, Moses, I don't know about this. I don't, I, you're causing more problems for us. He steps in and he delivers them. He pulls them out of bondage and he says, let my son go. I want my son. And then in Matthew, uh, Jesus is brought by Joseph after a dream is given to Joseph. He's brought by Joseph out of Egypt. And Matthew goes on to say that this was done so that as the prophet said in Hosea 11 verse 1, out of Egypt I called my son. But then when they came out of Egypt, what was the first obstacle that the Israelites faced? The Red Sea. And as they faced imminent destruction from the Egyptian army, the, the Red Sea parts and they walk through the Red Sea. And so Paul takes this exact experience of the Israelites and says that when they walk through the sea, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 2, he says, when they walk through the sea, they were baptized unto Moses going through the Red Sea. So Jesus, he's called out of Egypt, and then he goes on the next... One of the next big stories we see is that he's baptized in the Jordan River. And what happens after they go through the Red Sea? How long do they spend in the wilderness? They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And what happens to Jesus after he's baptized? He goes out, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. You think these things just happen by accident? No. Jesus is intentionally rewriting history. He wants you to know that you, literally, your salvation has been secured. Your life has been rewritten in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the question is, will we accept that reality today? After the 40 days in the, in the wilderness... Jesus goes in Matthew chapter 5 and he goes up to the Mount of Blessings and he begins to unpack the law in the, in the Sermon on the Mount of Blessing. And he says specifically in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, do, you think, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. He comes to say, hey, I am the embodiment of the law. I've come to fulfill all of this. Just like Moses took the Israelites to Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments were given there on Mount Sinai. Jesus is intentionally rewriting history because Israel failed, but God was faithful. And God is fulfilling the covenant both from God's side and from man's side. So that there is a complete victory in Jesus Christ. And then what does Jesus do? He goes on to choose 12 disciples. There were 12 tribes of Israel, those 12 sons of Israel that, that went down to Egypt. And, and intentionally, it goes on to say, you know how in uh, Exodus chapter 19 at, the, at Mount Sinai, God said to the Israelites, you are to be a kingdom of priests and a an holy nation. Well, these 12 apostles were to found a church that Peter goes on to say in 2 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, is to be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And finally, in Jesus' life, 
he was lifted up on a cross and he told Nicodemus, even as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness so that those who uh, were bitten by the venomous serpent were healed, so the Son of Man must be lifted up and those who look will live. We've been bitten by a snake and Jesus has rewritten history and one died for all and so all have died and that's so that we would no longer live for ourselves but for the one who died for us the love of Christ compels us we are human beings we are new creations when we say worship him who made it tells us the fact that he's the initiator you didn't choose when you were born God chose God brought you into existence and you are here for a purpose and, and it's a beautiful thing when you, you go back in specifically to Jesus' baptism. Do you remember what God said to Jesus at his baptism? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, it's, it's fascinating to me that, that in Jesus' life, up until that point, you hear him working no miracles. You, you don't read about him ever preaching a sermon. He did go to the temple and ask some questions. We know that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, but he worked no miracles. He preached no sermons. His public ministry did not begin until the declaration was made, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And Paul adopts that language in Ephesians chapter 1 when he says that you have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless in Him. He's chosen to adopt you in the Beloved. You, my friend, are His beloved child with whom He is well pleased. And you're probably thinking here, but hang on, my history. Do you know who I am sitting here today? Do you know who Israel was? And Jesus rewrote that history. And if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. And friends, there is power in that. This morning we might sit here and think, well, yeah, that's great. You can talk about that. But if people just accepted that kind of grace, the world would go crazy and people would just, just live wild lives. But check out the, how this gives even Jesus the victory in the wilderness. You know, Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. He, he emptied himself of, of the power and prerogatives of divinity so that he could overcome in the same way that he wants for you and I to overcome. And in Matthew chapter 4, when he's there in the wilderness, he's hungry, he's famished, 40 days of fasting, and he has legitimate desires. He's hungry, and he wants for people to know that he's the Messiah. He wants for the whole world to accept him. And so Satan comes to address those specific things. And these three temptations, they address the all of the ground of temptation that you and I ever walk over in our lives. Anything that we'll ever experience, the lust uh, of the flesh, the pride of life, uh, the lust of the eyes, these things were all encompassed in the, the temptations of Jesus. But notice how these first temptations start off. Verse 3, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. You see what it is? He says, I'm questioning your state of being, and I'm asking you 
to prove and to do something to show me who you are. I'm wanting you to be a human doing, not a human being. I want for you to, to show me that, are you really the son of God? And we get it all backwards in our minds because when we come to temptation, we think I've got to get this right. I've got to do this right so that I can be close to God. But God wants you to know that you're his beloved child and the love of Christ will compel you to victory. The love of Christ will change everything for you. If only you accept this morning the fact that, that God is crazy about you. He loves you more than his own existence. He laid down his life for you. And Paul is so bold to say, I have been crucified with Christ. And every human being could say that today. Because one died for all, therefore all have died. It's already been accomplished for you fully and freely. And that love will compel you to live lives of Christ-like love. So Jesus is faced with this temptation. The question is, are you really the son of God? It, does, is, is God's promise really that good to you? And Jesus' response is, it's written, man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not by bread alone. You want a happy 2021? Live based on these promises. Meditate on these promises. Stop listening to every other voice out there and start listening to these promises because you can be made a new creation in Christ Jesus. You already have been made that in Christ if you'll only accept it today. The next temptation is just like that. Verse 5, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Right, so if you are, then do this magical deed where you levitate in front of all of the people so that we can all see that you are the Son of God. Now, his temptations were of a different magnitude than yours and mine. But it's the same thing for you and I. It starts off with questioning our identity in Christ. And then it goes to actions that are inappropriate, that are not according to God's will. And this was a... These things were for legitimate desires. Jesus was genuinely hungry, but it wasn't the time for him to meet his own needs selfishly. Jesus legitimately wanted for people to recognize that he was the son of God, but it wasn't the time for him to levitate in front of everybody so that they would follow him. And then the final temptation, Jesus takes him to the, uh, and shows him all the glory of all the kingdoms of the world. And as Jesus sees that, he says, hey, just worship me. Acknowledge that my system is the way. And how does Satan's system work? Satan's system is based on being a human doing rather than a human being. It's based upon trying to ascend, trying to accomplish, trying to be the best. Versus trying to love and serve and give. Versus accepting that you are his beloved child with whom he is well pleased. And allowing the love of Christ to compel you. Friends, recognizing that you are a child of the King changes absolutely everything in your life. We've got to understand this more and more fully. You know, I was thinking about it with my own children. I was thinking about my little girls and how we lavish love on them. And any teacher can tell you that, that a child, when it comes into the classroom, a child is more likely to succeed if they've had love lavished on them. In fact, I'll read a few studies to you. The University of Delaware in 2014 did a study on children. 
They studied people born into poverty and found that they were more successful if their parents gave them, quote, sensitive caregiving. In other words, if the parents paid attention and listened to their children, gave them sensitive, caring, loving caregiving in the first three years of life. The children did better on academic tests, had healthier relationship as adults, and were more likely to pursue <laughs> higher education. Dr. Robbie said it this way, altogether the study suggests that children's experiences with parents during the first few years of life have a unique role in promoting social and academic functioning, not merely during the first two decades of life, but also during all of their adulthood. Now here's the thing, this is saying the first three years have that kind of impact on whether a child will be successful, whether they're able to function in life. Have you been around a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-year-old? How much do they contribute to the economy of the household? If you were to run your household as a meritocracy and it's based upon the ability and effort that your children put into it, how would you treat your kids? I'll tell you with, with my precious little girls who I love so much that it's a beautiful thing when they finally learn to say I love you. I remember actually just this morning, uh, I was in the closet because it's a quiet place <laughs> and, and all of a sudden there was a knock at the door and Leah said, Abby wants to say hi and Abby and Libby came tumbling into the, the closet and they had their arms open wide and I hugged them and then they headed back out to go down for breakfast and they closed the door. But as the door closed, Livy's headed off down the hall. She shouts over her shoulder, Daddy, I love you. That melts a heart. But I'll tell you that I haven't waited to lavish love on, on Livy until she said, Daddy, I love you. Until she was able to, to express her love, until she was able to do something. I started off with love in her life. Leah started off with love in her life. Her, the family surrounding them has started off with love. And that's what it has to be with God and our relationship with God. It starts with love. And out of that love will be birthed a keeping of His commandments. Everything else that you can possibly imagine, you'll become a new creation. But you have to understand more fully His love. And if you find anything lacking in your life, it's likely due to your misunderstanding of your identity in Christ. Think about it. What if we left a child to do things on their own? A child up to three years old has to have often diapers changed. They have to be put into the crib, taken out of the crib. They have to be dressed. They have to be bathed. They're not contributing anything to society. But we love them. And we lavish love on them because they're precious, because they are our child. And you, my friend, are precious in the sight of God because you are his child. And it's not based upon what you've done. And as you fully let that sink in, he will empower you to do amazing things. But don't start there. Start with accepting his love in your life. Another study, just to confirm this, the, uh, this is a big name for National Scientific Council on the Developing Child, which is the Center on the Developing Child at Harvard University. I was reading this paper about young children, and they said that young children experience their world as an environment of relationships, and those relationships affect virtually all aspects of their development. In the words of the distinguished developmental psychologist, Yuri Bronfenbrenner, in order to develop 
Normally, a child requires progressively more complex joint activity with one or more adults who have an irrational emotional relationship with a child. He says it requires more and more joint activity of positive relationships from adults who have an irrational emotional relationship. It makes no sense. Because if you look at science, you look at how the world operates and you assume a survival of the fittest mode, then why? Why lavish this type of love? He goes on to say, somebody's got to be crazy about that kid. That's number one, first, last, and always. Somebody has to be crazy about that child. And I have good news for you today. Somebody is crazy about you. And that somebody is the God of the universe. And he laid down his life for you so that you could live no longer for yourself, but for the one who died for you. This paper goes on to describe what this this creates. It says, early secure attachments contribute to the growth of a broad range of competencies, including a love of learning, a comfortable sense of, of, of oneself, positive social skills, multiple successful relationships at later ages, a sophisticated understanding of emotions, commitment, morality, and other aspects of human relationships. Stated simply, establishing successful relationships with adults and other children provides a foundation of capacities that children will use for an entire lifetime makes a difference to know that you're loved it enables and compels and inspires you even just with earthly human love how much more when the infinite god of the universe loves you and friends the reason i keep repeating this like a parrot is because it hasn't sunk in deep enough or we wouldn't still be here i know this from my own experience leah can tell you from my own life just just this week Uh, There are times when she's like, what's going on? What's wrong? And I said, I just don't feel like I can do enough. I don't feel like I can do enough. You're not a human doing. You're a human being. And as you accept who you are in Christ, the love of Christ will compel you and you will live as a new creation in Christ Jesus. We worship God who made, and that changes absolutely everything. The book Faith and Works says it this way, uh, beautifully summarizes just this, this understanding that everything has to come from Christ. Faith and Works, page 24, says it this way, The Lord Jesus imparts all of the powers, all the grace, all the penitence, all the inclination, all the pardon of sins in presenting his righteousness for man to grasp by living faith, which is also the gift of God. What can you add to that? If you would gather together everything that is good, holy and noble and lovely in man, and then present the subject to the angels of God as acting a part in the salvation of the human soul or in merit, the proposition would be rejected as treason. Standing in the presence of their creator, the angels looking upon the unsurpassed glory which enshrouds his person. They are looking upon the Lamb of God given from the foundation of the world to a life of humility, to be rejected of sinful men, to be despised, to be crucified. Who can measure the infinity of that sacrifice? We can't add anything. We worship him who made the God 
who is everything to us, the author and the finisher, the alpha and the omega, everything that you need is in Christ. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And yet, our world is based on how many likes did you get? How many retweets? How many shares? How many views? How many, for us pastors, how many people came to church? How many were baptized? Are you measuring up? Did you get the right job? Did you get the right promotion? Did you build up enough funds in your 401k? What are you going to do for your retirement? And it's no wonder that depression rates are rising, that suicide rates are rising, because we're trying to make ourselves human doings when we're meant to be human beings. We're meant to have an identity in Christ. You are beloved children of the God of the universe. And if you're finding yourself discouraged, like I have found this past week, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, what is giving you value? Is it what you have accomplished in your life? Or is it who you know? And what he thinks about you and the fact that he's crazy about you? What's stressing you out today? Is it the things that you need to get done? Then look to Jesus, the one who says, I will daily bear your burdens for you. Look, look, look to Jesus. That's what it means to worship him who made. To ascribe worth is that word for worship. To look to Jesus as our all and our everything. I've read this before, but I wanted to read to you again the way that Steve Green writes this. Because I think it encapsulates well what God is calling us to in being new creations in Christ Jesus. He says this, A lot of my life has been spent wanting to make an impressive record. He's a Christian singer. For myself, wanting to be just the best Christian artist there ever was and prove to God and the world, I'm really good. And I'm not. And the trouble is that impressiveness works in the church. It just does. Well, a bunch of years later now, 30 years later, my only story is that I just don't have a good record. And that's why I have to have another record. And that's Jesus. And I discovered there's only one hero to any story in all of our stories. If there is any shred of faithfulness in my life, it is only the faithful one and not me. So the hero of our story is Jesus Christ. I can't be painted in any better light than I am or in any better pictures than I am because I just am not. There's only one hero to our story. There's only one record that matters. That is the record of Jesus Christ. And he has rewritten history. So friends, in this new year, look to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Look to him for your value, for your worth, and you will find that you can have a happy new year. Jesus said to the disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. I believe that Jesus intentionally walked through the history of Israel, rewriting history, because he wanted you to know that that's how God operates. God steps into our lives and he says, no, I'm separating your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. I'm stepping in to rewrite your past and make you a new creation. So that you can be free to love and to live and to serve. The love of Christ compels you. As we close today, I just invite you to listen to this song. In Christ alone. It really is in Christ alone. Oh God, we want to stand in the power of Christ. Lord, I don't know where each person is at. 
Maybe there's somebody here who's saying, yeah, my history, if you had any idea how little love I've experienced in my life. Father, would you rewrite that history for them right now? Would you show and lavish your love on them in a way that heals them from the deep hurts of their life? Father, maybe somebody here today is thinking, well, I don't know if I'm in Christ. Lord, I pray that they would not walk away from this meeting without saying, Jesus, I accept your gift. I'm in. I want you to be my Savior. Lord, maybe some of us are thinking, well, yeah, that sounds great, but how do I really experience it more deeply? And we need to take a, a deeper walk in our relationship with you this year and to commit to, to really living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Would you show us how to daily form a habit of dwelling on the promises that are revealed from cover to cover in this book of what you will do in our lives through your faithful covenant-keeping love? Father, maybe, maybe there's some people around us that we need the love of Christ to compel us to look on them, not according to the flesh, because they're real thorns in our flesh. <laughs> they create uh, angst, they create anger, they create stress, and God, we want to look at them as children of the King of the universe that you have died for. Lord God, would you give us eyes salve so that we can see people the way you see them? and love them the way you love them? Would you make us new creations in Christ Jesus so that the old has really been gone and the new has come? Lord, we're glad 2020 is over. We're asking for a happy new year. And we know that no matter what circumstances come, it will be a happy new year as we fully trust ourselves to Jesus Christ. Lord, we're all yours. May your love compel us in 2021. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.